too dark for this. Okay, good morning everyone. We will be starting our Purim class. Everything you want to know about Purim. If we could pass around these handouts. If you don't mind passing it around, Brett. Joseph. If we could pass it around, please. We're going to start off this morning by actually looking at the story of Purim, the timeline of the story of Purim. On the back of your paper is a copy of this chart. It's not so clear, but we're going to be able to learn insights into the story just by seeing what happened when and how it happened. The truth is that this chart, we have to actually start over here before year number one. Because the story of Purim happened as an outcome of the destruction of the first temple. And that happened not in the year 3393, but actually it goes back to the year 3338, the year 423 before the Common Era. A few years after that, there was a king who came up before the end of the 70 year exile and he said, you know what Jewish people, go back to your land and build the holy temple. We were thrilled. We went to Eretz Yisrael, we started rebuilding the second temple and unfortunately remnants or people that had been moved to Israel when the exile of the ten tribes happened, which happened more than 100 years prior, those people that moved into the place of the ten tribes, the, the um, Samaritans, how do you say it? Samaritans. Samaritans. They stopped, they went and informed the king, they lied and said we're trying to rebel against the king, and therefore the king in the year 3391, which is one year after the Jews started building the temple, he said, you need to stop. Because, seemingly, this is actually a rebellion. Because what, I'm sorry? Because these other people had informed the king, saying that we're actually trying to rebel against him by creating the temple. Let's now jump ahead to the year 3392. Over here it says 3393. The truth is it's actually a little prior to the year 3392. Ahasuerus becomes king. We know Ahasuerus did not have any special lineage. He was a simple, a simple man who was actually working with the horses. And somehow he, he fought his way up and he became... Um, there's a chair right here, Moshe Mendel. Here, you get to sit right here. Does this work? <laughs> so in the year 3392 Ahasuerus became king and the, and the Kutim, the Samaritans they immediately contacted Ahasuerus the first thing when he became king and, he, and they said don't forget that if you allow the Jews to rebuild the temple they're going to rebel against you and immediately he went ahead and again um, confirmed this that the Jewish people cannot rebuild the temple so this is year number one. In the third year, and the Megillah, most of these years are clearly stated in the Megillah, in the third year of Ahasuerus' rule, he makes a party. And at the party, he goes ahead, and we know he kills Esther. He kills Vashti. Thank you, he kills Vashti. This party was a party made for everyone. Very important to know, by raise of hand, was there kosher food by this party? Yes or no? Yes. 
The answer is it was 100% kosher food, and perhaps later on we'll talk about if it was a kosher party, why was it so bad that the Jews went? So this is in year number three. The party happens, but the Talmud says because the Jews went to the party, Hashem unfortunately allowed the Jewish people now to be attacked by their enemies. Now what's fascinating is this did not happen overnight. The king now in the third year he loses his wife. Four years he makes a beauty contest. And four years later in the year 3399 nine, Esther becomes queen. Yes, if I said lost, I apologize. So in, the, in the third year, he killed his wife. And in the four years later, 3399, Esther is found and he marries Esther. Th that same year, a little while later, we have the story of the two big son Viserys, these two advisors, these two um, servants of the king who are plotting against the king. And Mordechai heard the story because he understood 70 languages since he had worked, and since he was a part of the Sanhedrin Hagadola. He understood the language they were talking. He informed Esther, who then informed the king. The king arrested these two people and he executed them, writing down in the Chronicles that Esther had been informed from Mordechai and that had saved his life. So actually this is a key detail in the story of Purim, the fact that the king wrote down that essentially Mordechai saved his life. And as it says in Ethics of the Fathers, if you want to bring redemption to the world, repeat what happens in the name of the person who, who did it. Because if Esther had told the king, I found out that these two servants had plotted to kill you, well then the king would have never had that respect as we're going to soon see later on he has for Mordechai. The reason he had that respect and the reason later on we'll see that Mordechai was danced around town was because Esther had said to Ahasuerus, Mordechai has informed me that there are people trying to kill you. A little while later, Haman becomes a very high person in the king's, um, in, in a very high minister for the king. But it wasn't until, from the seventh year until the twelfth year, which is how many years? Five. five. It wasn't until five years later that Haman becomes second in command. And that same day, on the 13th day of Nisan, which is very important, could anyone tell me which day of Nisan is Pesach? The 15th. So let's follow the details now. This is very important that it's going to take place on Pesach. 13th day of Nisan, Haman becomes five... Could you imagine? Esther is married to Ahasuerus for five years, which she's living a life of torture. Because until then she had been married to Mordechai. And at that point, the second she married Ahasuerus, the Torah says you're, not, you're prohibited to your previous husband. <clears throat> There's more to that as the Talmud discusses because she was forced to marry Ahasuerus, it was against her will, but the general gist of it is that she, she ended up marrying Ahasuerus and for five years she had no clue why she is in this position. <coughs> there was no insight. 
In the fifth year, on the thirteenth, five years since her marriage, in the thirteenth day of Nisan, Haman becomes second in command. That same day, he because he's now second in command, he goes ahead, he makes his lot, and lot in, and lots means what? What word do we all know means lot to make a lottery? Poor. Purim. Purim is named after this lot that he made on the thirteenth day of Nisan. He makes a lot and he decides that in the month of Adar he's going to, God forbid, go ahead and destroy the Jewish nation. And immediately that same day he calls all the scribes. As you can see here, they're scribes. He calls all the scribes and he sends out this message. It's stamped by the king that all the Jewish people are, God forbid, to be killed. On the, in the month of Adar, in, a, in one year. This is the month of Nisan, and he waited a year. Now, why? He wanted to make sure that the Jews wouldn't rebel. So he had a plan, a very smart plan. Unfortunately, the Nazis, Yimach Shemam, Vizichram, one of the things that they did is they were able to fool people. They were professional at, professionals at fooling you. And Haman... He wanted to fool the Jewish people. So what did he do? All this letter said was that there is a nation that we're going to go ahead and need to get rid of. It had no information who it was and it said at, a day prior to the, to, to the month of Adar, to this specific date, you'll open up another letter and you'll find exactly all the details. So he did hide the details from the Jewish people. Mordechai found out and Mordechai now informs Esther. So, on the 13th day of Nisan, that same day, Mordechai finds out what's happening. He finds out that this decree has been written and signed by the king to kill all the Jewish people. And he tears his garments and puts on, um, he puts on ashes on top of his head. That same day, he informs through the prophet Daniel, he informs Esther of what has happened. Esther says, what would you like me to do? He says, I want you to go to the king. She says, I can't go to the king. If I go to the king, the king has a rule. If you come without being called, you're killed. She says, Vashti was killed. I'm going to be on the same track to go ahead against the king and get killed. And Mordechai responds with famous words. He says, God is going to save the Jewish people. It could be through you. And if not through you, it will be through someone else. And, Mordechai, and Esther responds, she says, I agree, but on one condition. Please go ahead and make the Jewish people fast for three days and three nights. Okay? The 13th day of Nisan. So now, when is the third feast? When is the third day? The day that Esther is going to go into Haman's to Ahasuerus' palace. Well, if it's the third, 13th day of Nisan is when they made this. So we have the 4th, 14th, the 15th, and then the 16th. On the second day of Pesach, Esther now goes to the... Says Tesvav. Okay. That's just making me think. Maybe the three days weren't consecutive days. I'm not sure that's a good point. Perhaps when she said three days and three nights, it wasn't three full days and three full nights. The, the second day of Pesach, the Suud is Esther. Right. That was the Suda when Homer was killed. Ah, that was the second so, feast. It, 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 so it's 
So it must be the first day of Pesach when she went in because Thomas said, tomorrow I'll make the soup. Ah, precisely. Thank you, thank you. Exactly. So, the 13th, she comes in. She, the 13th, she's talking to Mordechai. She says, fast for three days and three nights. She then goes to the king on the, for the first time on the first night of Pesach. She enters the king. The king we know the king does want to kill her. And an angel comes and turns the scepter towards Esther. Esther is now allowed to speak. She says what she wants. And the king comes for the first meal. That's the first meal. Again, this is the first night of Pesach. The king and Haman come together to Esther, to Esther's palace. As the Megillah says, there was a woman's palace and a men's palace. They come to Esther's palace for the first meal. Haman goes home all enthusiastic from that meal. He's on top of the world. And he says, look, the queen loves me. The king is, I'm, I'm second in command. And I may as well just get rid of my enemy. And that same night, the first night of Pesach, he builds his gallows for Mordechai. The first night of Pesach is called a night where Hashem protects us. Leil Shimurim. Because that same night, and in the Megillah we scream out these words, on that night. Which night is that night? This is going to be this, this night right here, the 15th of Nisan, the first night of Pesach. Ahasuerus is trying to sleep. And he can't sleep. And he tries to sleep and he can't sleep. And guess who is the bedside ser um, <coughs> servant of Ahasuerus that night? Haman's son. So Ahasuerus says, listen up. I, went, I can't go to sleep. What should he do? Read me a story. Read me the royal chronicles. And Haman's son comes and he opens the chronicles and he starts reading and he stops. It's the story of Mordechai saving the king's life. And he says, no, no, no. I ain't reading about the story of Mordechai saving. I'm Haman's son. <laughs> and he goes to another story and he tries reading it and somehow he's back on that same page. And every page he turns, he's back on the story of Mordechai saving. But he still won't say it. And God sends an angel to talk through the mouth of Haman's son. And the angel repeats the whole story. Now we're already in the morning. We're already now at the... the I apologize. The story of Ahasuerus not being able to sleep happened the night prior to the second day of Pesach. Yes, David. Who did Haman descend from? He descended from Amalek. Oh. You're pointing that out. Okay. I was, I guess I wasn't as subtle as I thought I was. <laughs> okay, perfect. Thank you. That's a good point. Yes. He, no, that is an important, uh, an important point, and that is why the week prior to Purim, we're going to read the story of Amalek in Shul. Very important. It's actually one of the Torah commandments. Okay. So Ahasuerus can't sleep. The, he hears the story of Mordechai. And as he's finishing the story, who walks into his palace? Haman. Haman says, I have a plan. I have a most majestic plan. I'm just going to get rid of one of these terrible people. And the king says, you know what? Stop for a second. He says, I have this person who I want to honor. He's this incredible person. And Haman's like, yes, keep on telling me about him. He is this person. He is awesome and awesome. And Haman's like, yes, yes, keep on going. And he says, what should I do for this awesome person? And Haman's like, yeah, of course I know what I, just make me king. Put on, put on, put your crown on this person. Haman's playing along. He's like, obviously he's talking about me. He says, put on the crown, let him go on the king's horse, put on his clothing and shout in front of this man, thus shall be done to the man who the king wants to honor. And Haman is like, this is grand. And Ahasuerus is like, this is grand. And Ahasuerus turns to Haman and he says, you, go and do this to Mordechai the Jew who saved my life. <laughs> so Haman's like, 
Mordechai the Jew. There's thousands of people named Mordechai. I mean, how should I know which one? And he, and he says, well, this... And that is why in the Megillah you'll see, the Megillah tell, tells Haman, he says, tell the Mordechai who stands by the king's gates. No monkey business. Tell that Mordechai. Take that Mordechai and take him around town exactly like you said. And Haman comes up with every excuse to try and get out of it. And Ahasuerus stands there and he says, Haman, you could do it. Haman has no choice. He, he, goes, he goes to do it. Fascinating story. Mordechai at the time was learning with 20, is it 22,000? I'm not sure. He was learning with thousands and thousands of Jewish children at the time. And the Jewish children knew that, Mor that Haman is coming to them right now to kill them. And uh, Mordechai turns to the kids and he says, Get out of here. Save your life. And the Jewish children, young children, younger than our prima sift, the little kids, they turn to Mordechai and they say, We are with you for life and we are with you for death. Haman comes. They're ready to be killed. And Haman says, Mordechai, he says, Mordechai, I need you. Okay, Mordechai's like, okay. Like, he, he's... Anyways, and we know the continuation of the story, that Haman takes Mordechai around town, you know, with walking him around town. At the time, a small detail, but it is important, uh, Morde Haman became a wreck. People were throwing things at him, and he was a filthy wreck. Now remember, that was the second meal of Esther is about to happen. And Haman goes home, the least he could do is take a shower. He's, in, he's about to take a shower, and the king's guards come, and they grab him, and they say, you're late to the party. And they pull him a filthy mess, into Esther's palace. He's a wreck. He comes to the palace and as we know at this time Ahasuerus tells Esther, he says, tell me what's on your mind. You don't just make two parties for nothing. What's going on? And she says, yes, I'll tell you. She says, fascinating insight Ahasuerus tells Esther, he says, tell me what's on your mind, I'll give you everything up to half of the kingdom. And the commentators say that Ahasuerus was saying, I'll give you everything aside for allowing the Jews to rebuild the temple. And Esther turns to the king and he sa she says, there's a man that wants to kill me. There's a man that wants to kill my whole nation. She says, if the man would, have wa would want me to be a slave, I'd agree. But he wants to kill me. And the king says, who is this man? And Esther, Esther points and she says, this man, Haman, this wicked man. Ahasuerus <coughs> leaves the room. He's just completely, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> and Hashem sends angels to go and start chopping down the orchard, the garden of, of Ahasuerus. And Ahasuerus comes out to relax, and here he sees his whole orchard just being destroyed, and he says, what's going on here? And they say, what do you mean? Haman ordered us to do this. And he goes back inside, he's, he's had enough, and he says, okay, we need to take care of Haman. One of, of Ahasuerus' servants, Harvayna, comes in, he says, look, there's a gallows waiting right there. Well, let's just put him on it, and Haman is hung. I do want to say that the emphasis of Purim is not celebrating the downfall of Haman. And we'll talk about that momentarily. So, Haman is hung. And that happened again on the second day of Pesach. It's going to take now almost two and a half months until the month of the 
23rd day of Sivan till a message will be sent out to the whole people to the whole country which the Talmud says actually Akashverosh ruled the whole world it takes two and a half months for messengers to go out and give out a new proclamation because the custom was at the time that if the king made, made a made a deal, he could never break that. The king had signed to kill the Jewish people. It was impossible to break that decree. What could you do? You could go ahead and send out a new message, but the Jewish people should defend themselves. And that is what happened. Achishverosh sent out new messengers and said, Jewish people, stand up for yourselves and you will be victorious, you will win. And that happened on the 23rd day of Sivan. That same day, it's not like the day Haman, passed, Haman was killed, Mordechai became second in command. No, it took until the 23rd day of Sivan, and at that time, Mordechai now becomes the Mordechai of the country. He's now a, a, a ruler of the country. The 13th day of Adar, again, we're still in that same 12th year, the 13th day of Adar, the Jewish people stand up and defend themselves. That was the day that the people were, God forbid, supposed to kill the Jewish people. At that point, because of the second decree, the Jewish people stand up and defend themselves. The following day, the 14th day of Adar, the 10 children of Haman are hung, and celebration happens throughout the country. The Jewish people are celebrating. But as we know, in Shushan itself, this day, the 14th day, was still a day of fighting. The king said the Jewish people should defend themselves for a second day on the 14th day. And that is why there are some places that celebrate Purim on actually the 15th day of Adar. Are there any questions until where we're up to so far? Wait, okay. So the 15th day, I'm not sure I'm understanding it clearly, the 15th day. Why? The 13th day is when all the whole world fought against the and whoever wanted to fight against the Jews. And the Jewish people defended themselves. Ahasuerus told the people in the city of Shushan, the Jewish people, to fight again on the 14th additionally. So that means everyone aside from Shushan celebrated victory on the 14th. But the people of Shushan, they were still fighting, and they celebrated victory on the 15th. And they hadn't been heard about it yet, what's going on, they saw the fight. In Shushan, they heard everything. The king lived in Shushan. But the king instructed them to defend themselves and fight for another day. And that is why in commemoration of Shushan, that is why any walled city in, in Israel that is walled back to the times of Nachshon, of Nachshon ben Aminadav, when the Jewish people entered Israel, those cities celebrate Purim on the 15th in commemoration of the city of Shushan. Yes? You don't need to have a current wall. In order to celebrate Shushan, in order to celebrate Purim on the 15th, you had to have had a wall at the time when the Jewish people entered Israel. If it was destroyed since then, you still would celebrate on the 15th. That's correct. Menachem is pointing out that it depends in Jerusalem itself. We're talking about the old city of Jerusalem will celebrate on the 15th. If you're outside of the Jerusalem which was walled, then you, even if you're in the same current city titled Jerusalem, you'll still celebrate on different days. So you could live inside the city and outside the city. You could, be, you could have a wall inside the city and outside the city dependent where you are will be dependent when you'll celebrate Purim. One year later, on the 13th year, at this time, Mordechai and Esther, they write down the Megillah. It took, a, it took a year, a year later, they write down the Megillah. In the, fifth, in the 14th year, at this time, Ahasuerus, he decided he's going to put a lot of taxes on the people. It's important that the Megillah shares this with us. And the, in, in Persia, they also write down the story.
what's not put on this chart, which is fascinating, Mordechai, um, Achashverosh dies right here. So Achashverosh's rule was for 14 years. Who took over the rule immediately after the death of Achashverosh? Darius. Thank you, Daryavesh. Daryavesh was the son of, Morde of Achashverosh and Esther. I don't know when he was born, but I have one observation. He certainly was not more than from the, 30, from the seventh year when Esther married until the fourteenth year. How many years is that? So he certainly was not more than seven years old. Three years later, which so he's a maximum of ten, the Jewish people are told they have permission to rebuild the temple. So he was quite a young child leading the nation. Yes. Okay. Are there any questions regarding the story of Purim? What, is, what was the nationality of Achashverosh? Where was he from originally? Yeah, what was he? Was Persian or something? I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay, but not Jewish. Well, obviously he not. was not Jewish, no. Yeah, no. Are there any other questions before we continue? Yes, Maish Mordechai. <coughs> Maish Mendel, sorry. All of Haman's sons, sons were killed, right? Yeah. <coughs> yeah. But maybe they're talking about it on a spiritual level, but supposedly Haman's descendants existed. Well, his sons could have had grandchildren. Yeah. His sons could have had children before. Or so, Or sisters, yeah. yeah. Not that I'm familiar with. But, but again, that would be clear that he easily had grandchildren. And I have heard, like, I have heard about his grandchildren. So we, they weren't killed. That we're familiar with. Yeah. Okay, yes, please. Yeah, I mentioned the fact that uh, they celebrated the, the next year, they, they decided to make it a big, big holiday of Purim. I think it reminded me that with another holiday that goes back in time to Shem on the 26th day of Thomas, it was also a very big, uh, it's going to be a very big, uh, it's called a, a difficult time, and uh, they worked very hard, thank God. The miracle happened, and the people with him decided they could make a big to do for, for all generations of that day. <coughs> and, they, and they never took off. And the Rebbe explained, somebody asked the Rebbe why they never took off, even though they, they claimed it for, because the Vashemtu passed away that before the next year. And we see just that before, we just before that this, the actual celebration happened not right away, it was established, it was established a year later. And the establishment never took hold because Hashem had passed away that year and things fell apart. Thank you, Rabbi Wilhelm. We're, the class is scheduled to go till 10.30, so I'm going to, if we could put on the lights, and we're now going to talk about the details and insights into Purim itself. Um, if we could turn on the light right there, Yishai, those light switches. So, on your handout, quote, quote number one, um, Usher, do you have a handout? Can you please read quote number one for us? One who reads the Megillah out of order has not discharged the obligation. The, 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 track, the Talmud in tracting Megillah says, If you read the Megillah out of order, or if you read it backwards, you have not fulfilled your obligation. Comes along to the Baal Shem Tov, and he says, What does it mean if you read the Megillah backwards? He says, If you read the Megillah back in time, and you say the story of Purim is a story, it's a story, an ancient story. It's a fairy tale. He says, 
If you read the Megillah backwards, if you read it back in time, you have not fulfilled the story and the mitzvah of Purim. So when Purim is now coming up in 14 days, we need to know it is not an ancient story, it is not a story of the past, it's a story of the current, a story of the future. It's our story. And I'll leave that to you to apply to your lives. How is the story of Purim where people are trying to stop us from doing what's right, we defend ourselves and God comes through and, and shows us how He's with us, you, you can come and apply it to your own life. You know, the month of Adar is an amazing month. It says, the, the mazel, the luck of all Jewish people in this month is very strong. This is even applicable in Torah law. The law says, if a Jewish person has a court case, he should go ahead and try and push that court case to the month of Adar because his luck is very strong. I do want to point out that the Talmud says clearly this is only if you have a court case against a, a non-Jew. But if you have a court case against a Jew, well, it's not going to help you very much. What? Yes. This year, well, this year is a leap year just to know if you are celebrating a birthday, so the halacha is your birthday will take place in the second month of Adar. If you're celebrating a yard site, as Baruch is today, then the yard site will take place in the first month of Adar. If your birthday does come out in the month of Adar, it is appropriate to try and celebrate both months of Adar. But again, your, the halacha will be that your birthday is in the second month. If your yard site or birthday is in a specific other, then you have no, no choice. Correct. If you were born or if the yard had happened in a leap year, then you'll just follow the Adar that fell out in that year. Thank you. So, I'm not going to really get it, touch upon this month much, but we do know that the day prior to Purim is a fast day. It's a lenient fast day for any reason you have cause to perhaps think you cannot fast or talk to a rabbi. What, amazing insights. What is the fast prior to Purim called? The fast of Esther. Why in the world would we call it Tainus Esther? Let's call it, call it Tainus Purim. Why Tainus Esther? She fasted. She started, started the, the custom to do so. To ah. save us. So Joni says she was the one who told the Jewish people to fast. Well, let's look back at our map that we see right here. The fast that is Esther instituted was when? Uh, right before the second, the, the, it happened Pesach time. So we can't be fasting for those fasts. So why do we fast the day prior to Purim? It's nonsense, this fast, because seemingly. Because they fasted the day before the war. Oh, so Mendel says, great, we, no, they fasted during the war. When, when fighting a war, that you need a fast. But Mendel says you're not allowed to fast. So it comes out, the only people which fast by a war are those not fighting. If you're fighting, the Torah says you're not allowed to fast. Who was the only person not fighting during the war of Purim? One person. Esther. Esther. Man, woman, and child was, was, was the, the, the decree was against men, women, and children. So men, women, and children went out to defend themselves on the 13th day of Adar. There was one woman who was safe and, fast, and fasted. Because she was the queen. And that is called Esther. And that is why the fast is called the fast of Esther. Amazing insight. So, that same day there's a custom to give three silver coins, the Machatzit shekel, and that tr takes us back to the time of the temple when we would collect money for the <coughs> Karbanot. Let's talk about some of the 
some of the details of Purim clothing. We are supposed to wear our Shabbos clothing. It's a Yom Tov. We should wear our Shabbos clothing. Similarly, our house should be set for Yom Tov. We should have a tablecloth on. It's a Yom Tov. Now, we do dress up. Why do we dress up? Well, number one, we dress up because Hashem dressed up. You look at the story of Purim, you don't see Hashem. You see, well, Esther was beautiful. The king wanted to marry her. So she, it happened to be that she was a Jew and the Jewish people. It looks all natural. Hashem dressed up in the story of Purim. Yishai, can you tell me one detail in the story of Purim that you know Hashem had to do it? Or maybe it just was a natural occurrence. Why? Esther looked nice, so the king wanted to marry her. It happened to be she was born a, uh, born a Jew. Mordechai happened to hear the people tr plotting against the king. And he happened to tell to Esther, who happened to repeat it to the king in, Esther, in Mordechai's name. That's not really a story to start dressing up. So is there any detail in the story of Purim that you could say this detail was impossible unless God made it happen? Oh, we just like to dress up. You see, in the story of, of Hanukkah, it's clear God made, God made it happen. There was a tiny, tiny army against this massive army. Impossible to win. Impossible. But we look in the story of Purim, there was nothing impossible, seemingly. Hashem hid in the story. And therefore, we hide. That's one thought. Why we hide? In, well, that's, we, that's one thought. Why we dress up on Purim. Another thought. Yaakov dressed up. When did Yaakov dress up? He dressed up like, like Esav to receive those blessings from his father. Now what happened after he received those, those blessings? His father, Jacob, his father, Yitzchak, goes ahead and says, Yaakov, you stole the blessings, but keep them. And to remind us of those blessings, we want to dress up. Similar to Asa, similar to Yaakov. And finally, during the story of Purim, the Jewish people, we did sin. Our external body did sin. We went to that feast. Unfortunately, the Talmud says some Jewish people bowed down to idols. Our external part of us bowed, uh, did sin. And therefore, telling God, don't look at our external part. We're dressing up. This, look at what's inside of us. So we dress up. Yes, David. I think it's also important, with all respect, to remember that Forum celebrates the validation of the prophecy of the redemption of the temple after seven years. Absolutely. Thank you. Perm does. Hashem, when the Jewish people were exiled, Hashem said the Jewish people would be in exile for 70 years. Now, why do we have a gragger? Any, could anyone here tell me why do we shake that gragger? To blot out Haman. Why? Blotting out Haman's name. Why? <coughs> he was evil. We don't want to have him be celebrated during our holiday. No. Is there anyone else that we do that for? Uh, Amalek. When you hear the word Amalek, when we're going to read the Torah portion of Amalek, does everyone start shaking their feet? For some reason. I'm not sure why. The Torah says, Timcha et Zechar Amalek. Erase. Timcha. Erase the memory of Amalek. Well, there used to be a custom that you would take a piece of wood, you would write Amalek on it. And remember, as David pointed out, that Haman was a descendant of Amalek. So you would take this piece of wood, you would write Amalek on it, and then with another piece of wood, you, you would erase that. Now, when you take two pieces of wood and you scratch it together, it doesn't make any noise, you're the mayor. It does make noise. And once that happened, it just kind of evolved, and now we have the Gragger. But that's how the Gragger became to be. Yes? What about working on Purim? Working, are you allowed to work on Purim? Now, the answer is, you should not work on Purim. May you work on Purim. Let's get back to that question. Perhaps some people need to work on Purim. The answer is, depends what type of work. If you're doing simple work, 
simple work would mean, for example, perhaps you're working at a computer, perhaps it's called, um, if you're trading, if you're trading, you're, you're in the stock market, today it's not called too simple the stock market, but if it would be simple give and take, you're a cashier, that would be allowed on perm if need be. But things that are very, that take a lot of hard work, like gardening, construction, hard work should not ideally be done on Purim unless you're going to lose your job. Of Purim, correct. Let's talk about the, the mitzvot of Purim. We need to hear the Megillah. We hear the Megillah twice, once by night, once by day. Woman is, is, is the mitzvah of the Megillah is equal on men and women. And therefore, when we say that you need to hear every single word of the Megillah, my brother and I were one time by a rabbi in Burbank, California. And I remember it was quite a party, everyone dressed up. And the rabbi read the Megillah and afterwards there's a whole commotion. There was a, like five yeshiva students there and they told the rabbi that there was one word you mispronounced. The rabbi says, why didn't you correct me? They said there were hundreds of people we didn't want to call out. But anyways, I remember we went to another room after the party and we heard the Megillah over because it was one word mis mispronounced. You need to hear every single word correctly. This goes for men and women equally. That is why there is a custom, ideally, to buy your own Megillah. Now, Megillahs do cost money. They could cost easily $1,200. So if you can't afford it, that's okay. But try, if you can, to share with someone else in a real Megillah. But... What is fascinating is, you are allowed to read one or two words from your own copy of the Megillah. So if you have a copy of the Megillah, meaning you have a photocopy, like David has, he's, he has over here a copy of the Megillah. If you have that and you missed one word, you could read that one word correctly from the Megillah. But if you do that, then you need to catch up to the reader. Because... You can't hear a word and then the reader is ahead of you. Then you lost everything. Okay. So everyone equally needs to hear it. The more people who hear the Megillah together, the better. And therefore, try and come to a community party to hear the Megillah. There's not so many things where we say this, but regarding the Megillah we say, try and have as many people there as possible. You know, the Megillah when it is read, it's folded up like a letter. You fold up the actual parchment like this. You read, then you have... You fold it up like a letter, and that is because the Megillah is called a letter. Poigeris hazoyt, the Megillah, when it was written, it was called a letter. We cannot use a microphone to hear the Megillah. We have to hear the Megillah directly from the person saying it. There are parts of the Megillah which everyone responds out loud. Um, and does everyone know which words you should try and say in one breath? Uh, Haman's children you should breathe in and try and say all of his ten sons in one, in one breath. Why? Because they were all actually hung on the same pole. Yes, thank you. Okay, let's talk about Mishloach Manis. Mishloach Manis, we give packages of food to other people. By raising fingers, how many people do you need to give Mishloach Manis to? The correct answer is... I don't see any people here with the correct answer. Thank you. Here we go. We have one, only one person. Mishleach Manis, you need to give to one person. You need to give... Now, there's a phenomena that says you need to give Mishleach Manis. You need to give two different types of blessings. That means you have to give uh, an apple for eights and you have to give... Uh, uh, and you have to give, you know, a hamatash for Mizonot. Non-founded. You do not need to give two separate blessings, but you do need to give two ready-to-eat foods. So if you go ahead to the store and you buy pasta that needs to be cooked and you buy 
you buy a, a, a box of coffee that is not going to fulfill the obligation. You have to have two items that are ready to be eaten right away. And you give it to one person. Men should only give Mishlei Achmanis to men. Women should only give Mishlei Achmanis to women. That is because, you know, if a man gives something to a woman that's not married, so it, all it takes is a word or two and he could be married to her. And therefore, to make sure that there shouldn't be any mistake, we, want, we don't want a men, we don't want men giving presents to women, women giving presents to men. You have somebody else give it for you, for you like, like uh, should I have mm-hmm. you should, it, ideally, and, and look, I'm, the practical application, uh, we'll talk about privately, but the general consensus is, Halacha says, Mishlei Achmanis is men to men, woman to woman, me- messenger won't help. Does that include married? Yes. Passes? Bottom line, we, we, to make it simple, we said men, Give Mishlach Manis to men, women give Mishlach Manis to women. Now that's, so we've spoken about two of the five mitzvahs, so yes, Basha. If you want to give children, don't call it Mishlach Manis. If you want to give them some candy, give them candy. But uh, it does include, it does, it does ideally include children. Oh, your married children? That's different. You're giving them a present. Just don't call it Mishleach is only to one person. So that mitzvah, when you'll, you're, you are going to fulfill the mitzvah, make sure it's to a, the same gender. If you want to give presents to other people, nothing to do with the mitzvah of Purim, that's up to you. Yes? Is it actually better to give Mishleach Manis through an intermediary? There's a custom to do that. Both ways are fine, whether you do it yourself, whether you do it through an intermediary. Matanes left, you giving money to the poor. This could be men to woman, woman, men to woman, woman to men. Yes? The word is Mishloach Manas, which literally means to send portions. So some say that sending it through someone else is better than giving yourself. It says sending money. Thank you. Now, Mishloach Manas must be given by day. If we give it the night of Purim, if we send it in the mail, we have to give it on the day of Purim. Matane Slavyayim giving gifts to the poor. So far, there's five mitzvot of Purim. We've discussed so far two of them. We discussed Mishloach Manos. We discussed the Megillah. We're now going to t- discuss giving money to the poor. We should be giving two, and that's why it gets confusing. You only have to give one person Mishloach Manos. You need to give two people money. How much money should you give to each person ideally? Five dollars each. Why five dollars? The general consensus is you could buy one meal for five dollars. Don't ask me how that works, but that's a general consensus. And when you give a poor man money, ideally you should be giving him enough money for one meal. So in total that would be $10 um, for you to fulfill your mitzvah. Five to, five to two separate people. This, when you're giving money to a poor person, a man could give a woman and a woman could give a man. Um, now, a lot of people spend a lot of money on Mishleach Manis. Just a thought. Whatever money you invest in Mishleach Manis, perhaps you should at least be giving that same amount into Give into, to poor people. So if we're going to make extravagant Mishlach Manis, remember we should certainly be giving something then extravagant to, to the poor. This again, this money has to be given by the day of Purim. So, so this is, we've now said three of the mitzvos. We said Mishlach Manos, the Megillah, Matanos Lavyonim. Now let's talk about the Suda. Actually, I'm getting confused. There's only four mitzvahs. Now let's talk about the, the meal of Purim. And this, there's a lot of confusion. Let's read one. We're going to conclude momentarily. So don't, uh, don't walk out yet. Let's read, a, let's read an... If you read this story, you're not going to go anywhere. Read this story, Yehuda. Read this story number nine in your handout, please. Oh. 
Robinson is the duty of man to mellow himself with wine and pork. Until he cannot tell the difference between cursed be Hamad and blessed be Mordecai. Rabat and Rabbi Zira joined together to form fish. They became mellow and Rabat arose and cut Rabbi Zira's throat. He, he died, in, in short. On the next day, he prayed on his behalf and revived him. Next year, he said, will, you, will your honor come and we will have the Purim feast together? He replied, a miracle does not take place on every occasion. This is not my story. This is Tracte Megillah 7b. And let me just tell you, Rava and Rabzeira some of the greatest Torah scholars and this is kind of just for clarity's sake FYI for your information this story is a very Kabbalistic story the Ben Chai has a lot to talk about this the Rebbe has tremendous insight we're not talking that he, that he got violent and drunk and killed someone that is not the story but what I do want to share with you is that we see from this Gemara that there is a mitzvah to be happy on Purim I do not say intoxicated and actually over here, specifically, they don't use the word intoxicate. I want to talk about this for a moment. The Talmud says that on Purim, you should not be able to differentiate between blessed is Haman and cursed is Mordechai. Now, does that mean that on, on Purim, we should be going around, walking around, saying, wow, Mordechai is cursed. Mor is that what Hashem wants from us? We should be going around and cursing Mordechai? Well, that's seemingly what the words say. You should be walking around, not being able to say, blessed is Haman, Mordechai, cursed is Haman. You should be seemingly, it means get confused. But no, that's not what Hashem wants for us to be walking around and cursing Mordechai, God forbid. What it does mean, number one, I'm not going to do the math with you right now, but in Hebrew, if you take the words Baruch Mordechai and you find out how much they come out to, their gematria, the equivalent, will be the exact same as Aror Haman. So, per, so not perhaps, so the, the Gemara is telling us you should be intoxicated enough that you can't do a proper math equation. So that's, it doesn't mean you need to go crazy. That is one insight. Another insight that is shared with us by the commentators of the Shulchan Aruch is there are two things we thank Hashem for. Dayenu. Two things on Purim. What are the two things we thank Hashem? Number one, that He saved us. And that is Aror Haman. Cursed is Haman. Hashem took care of Haman and saved us. The second thing we're thanking Hashem for is that Haman was, is that Mordechai was elevated to become a major member of the king's staff and he, he was able to do a lot of good for the Jewish people. So there are two separate things we thank Hashem for. We thank Hashem for taking care of Haman. We thank Hashem for elevating Mordechai. And so when we say you should become intoxicated enough on Purim to not know the difference, it means that you're not completely focused to be able to understand the two blessings we are giving to Hashem today. I'm pointing this out because if someone does get drunk on Purim and they violate even one mitzvah, for example, a mitzvah of the rabbis to not wash your hands before eating bread, then you have completely um, went overboard and that is not at all what the Talmud is saying. The Talmud is saying you do need to be happy and as some people say, if you, if you don't know how to drink wine and be able to balance yourself out, then go to sleep because when you sleep you can't, you can't think completely and you'll be able to fulfill that idea of not being able to do math by sleeping. Correct, correct. L we're going to conclude with talking about the day after Purim. The day after Purim in, in America and outside of those walled cities of 
in Israel and if you would live in the city of Susa Susa is the current name of the city of Shushan in Persia, in Iran today if you would be living in the city of Susa the actual city of Shushan again or you're living in one of these walled cities so then you celebrate Purim a day later in commemoration and celebration of those cities we go ahead and celebrate additionally the day after Purim. Shushan Purim is additionally a day that we celebrate. You should be happy and you should eat something special. So let me summarize what we've learned today in within like two, three minutes and with that, with that we'll take some questions and conclude. First of all, we saw a wonderful video. Thank you, Rabbi Willem, for that wonderful video. Second of all, we went ahead, we discussed the years and the story of Purim and it gave us a lot of insight to the, the details of what happened. We then discussed the mitzvot of Purim. We discussed reading the Megillah. We discussed giving Mishloach Manot Matanot Levionim. And we concluded with the, the feast of Purim. And now we mentioned how the day after Purim, Shushan Purim, additionally, we need to be happy. So the focus of the class is to leave being happy. Could we agree upon that? Uh, Yosef, could you, agree, could you pick your hand up? We have a few people that aren't willing to raise their hand. They have to stay here for another class. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to be happy. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Are there any questions before we conclude? Yes, Naya. If you're visiting Shushan, does it differentiate? Like very good question. There is a full chapter in the halacha that discusses if you're from America and you visit Jerusalem or if you're from Jerusalem and you visit America when do you celebrate Purim? Do you celebrate it by the place you came from, by the place you're going? Now, we could spend the next week learning that together. It's a good question. It's a very, very good question. Any other questions before we conclude? Yes, Yitzchak. Shin Vav Shin Nun S-H-U-S-H-N S-H-U-S-H-A-N Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone. And let's be happy.